Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. I'm Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and today we're going to be shining the spotlight on our most recent intelligence publication. Our fall 2021 edition of the Rennie Landscape are also known in the industry as the Little Red Book. For those of us who are less familiar with the landscape, it is a semi-annual publication that our Intel team produces that tracks a variety of factors that directly and indirectly impact Metro Vancouver's housing market. So with us today is Ryan Berlin, our Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence at Rennie, who also happens to be the author of The Landscape. Hello again, Justine. I feel like I just saw you, what, five days ago? Yes, we were just in this room a few days ago recording our Intel podcast. And it's great to have you in the room again today so we can discuss this time through the lens of the Rennie landscape, how our economy and housing market has been evolving and what potentially lies ahead. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. It feels like... um I don't know, 20 months ago, I blinked or we all blinked and here we are today. And it's it's crazy to think that COVID is so much a part of our lives and has impacted our market so much. So I'm happy to sort of uh, talk about how our markets evolved over the past, you know, almost two years and yeah, what lies around the corner. Excellent. So let's drive into our first question. So I've heard you say the word recovery mode, um, that we're still in recovery mode. What does the recovery mode mean? Yeah, so I think you know when we look at the the landscape, which has like a just a ton of uh, you know different elements as part of it, looking at the economy and demographics and interest rates and government policy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Really, what emerges from this edition as an initial sort of takeaway is that we are, yeah, as you say, in quote unquote recovery mode. And so I guess when I say that, that's based on a few different observations. So. You know, if we start with employment, like total jobs in Metro Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, it's taken about 20 months, but here in Metro Vancouver, we have exceeded our pre-pandemic employment level. So as of uh, a couple of months ago, the latest data for September, but you know, at the end of the summer, we had exceeded the number of jobs that we had in February mm-hmm. 2020, which is great as, you know, in terms of achieving a milestone, we're way off of trend if we had had no covid we would have had a lot more jobs presumably than we have now but you know we're we're, we're getting we're getting back to where we were and mm-hmm. we 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 compare fairly favorably against our metro peers across the country um uh, specifically montreal and toronto we're all in the same ballpark in terms of uh, where our employment counts are relative to february but um we're still really making our way back to trend and then another example of how we're recovering and and squarely in, again, recovery mode is when we look at not employment, but the unemployment rate. So the Mm -hmm. unemployment rate uh, going into the pandemic in this region was about four and a half percent, and it spiked to over 14% within three months. I mean, just, it's just absurd. I mean, we've never seen anything like that in past recessions. Mm -hmm. Um, Since then, we've, that unemployment rate has come down quite a lot. It currently sits at um, just over 6%, which if there had been no COVID and the unemployment rate was 6.2% as it is now, you kind of go, ah, the labor market's a bit soft. It's not exactly where it should be if the economy is functioning at, you know, mm-hmm. at an equilibrium level, right? So we, we would expect that the unemployment rate will be back between 4 and, and 5%. So we're not quite there, though we compare, again, favorably to 
Canada and other metro mm-hmm. areas, we are below them. So the unemployment rate is still above its its pre-pandemic level. And then within that, if we talk about the number of unemployed people, we know that in June of last year in Metro Vancouver, the number of unemployed people peaked at 221,000. So for some context, going into the pandemic, there were 71,000 unemployed people. So there was an increase of approximately 150,000 people into that unemployed pool. And by definition, when we talk about these data points, to be unemployed means that you are actively looking for work and can't find it. So if you've mm-hmm. decided that you don't want to work or you're caring for someone or you're going to school and you, formerly you were working, you're not unemployed per these statistics, right. you're out of the labor force. So in this case, that increase in the number of unemployed people says, hey, there's a lot more people who really want to be working and are unable to find work. And that's very problematic, obviously, for a number of reasons. But since then, we have seen that number come down. The latest data, so again, as of September for the region, uh, showed that there were 100,000 people, roughly, who were unemployed. So a big improvement over 221,000 a year and a half ago, but it's still 30,000 more people who are unemployed, who want to work, who have not been able to find work than we had going into the pandemic. So again, there's some excess slack in the labor force, obviously, that we would like to see addressed, and that's going to happen as we get back to... Uh, normal, uh, a more normally functioning economy, um, you know, in, in a few months time. Yeah. So this is all really interesting. So my question for you is in the lead up to the pandemic, our labor market was very tight and employers were increasingly struggling to find the skills and, and people they needed. Has it been mollified at all because the labor market isn't as tight as it was? You would think that it would be. You'd think that the fact that there are more workers out there looking for work who can't find work than there were before the pandemic hit, that on the employer side, that you'd be able to sort of not have your pick, but you, you know, you would you would have some options. You'd be able to find people who had the right skills to fill the needs that you have. And actually, it's been quite the opposite. So what we've seen, despite the slack in the labor market, nationally, we've seen the what we call the job vacancy rate. So it's a percentage of all jobs that are unfilled um, that employers would like to be filled. We've seen that job vacancy rate increase to an all-time high nationally. So it's at 3.6%. That's not really been the trend here in BC and Metro Vancouver. Um, But two comments on that. One is that the job vacancy rate has been increasing recently in BC and in this region. It's also at, you know, mid 4% quite a bit higher than what we're seeing nationally. So employers, despite the excess labor, there's still a bit of a mismatch between labor supply and labor demand, whether that's skills, whether that's uh, an issue of pay or hours. Um, it's it's difficult to tease all of that out, but clearly there are what we would like to see is that job vacancy rate to come down from where it is now because it's heading in the wrong direction. Um, just a, a couple of other examples of, of, of how we're sort of in recovery mode and, and not back at uh, you know the so-called equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at interest rates, for example, we know they came down dramatically, whether it's the Bank of Canada's overnight policy rate dropping from 1.75% pre-pandemic to its current 0.25%. That's why you're not earning any money on your savings account. <laughs> um <gasps> But you know that that rate hasn't moved. That's the effect of lower bound for that rate. So you consider mm-hmm. that almost zero. Um, and then bond yields too. And uh, so Government of Canada bond yields fell to sub one percent 
um, in the depths of the pandemic. They're starting to come up, but they're still historically low at just over 1%. That has a direct impact on the mortgage market and specifically five-year fixed mortgage rates. And so we all know that those came down to just unbelievably low uh, levels about a year ago, just over a year ago. Mm -hmm. They're still relatively low and certainly not back. You know, we're looking now at... <clears throat> you know, around 2% for a five-year fixed rate. And some of the banks have pushed those rates up, but the actual contract rates are still at, you know, you're looking at two or slightly below 2%, okay. whereas before the pandemic, it was closer to three. And then finally, a couple of other observations. <clears throat> One is that the government, the federal government and provincial governments have been spending like crazy to support households and businesses yeah. through the pandemic. So the at the federal level, the spending has been, just really unprecedented. And so if we look at monthly, uh, the monthly um, deficit that the federal government has incurred since April of 2020, so right after the pandemic sort of really fully hit us here in Canada, the average monthly deficit has been $24 billion. So that's $24 wow. billion more spent each month than has been taken in revenue. And for context, over the previous 10 years, the average monthly deficit was $1.5 billion. So you're talking about a deficit that's grown in an order of magnitude of about 15 times. Mm -hmm. Now it's heading in the right direction. It's shrinking sort of month by month, which is good as we pull ourselves out of this, but we're spending a, a lot of money to sort of keep the economy going. Um, one benefit is that Canadian household savings has gone through the roof. We've never seen anything like this over the past four quarters. Canadian households have accrued uh, almost a quarter of a trillion dollars in savings. And so, some of that has been spent already. It's not all sitting in bank accounts. Mm -hmm. There's probably uh, a little bit more than $100 billion that is currently sitting in bank accounts. So the money is being deployed into various assets. Housing is certainly one of them, and that is going to be the case going forward. Um, but again, it's sort of indicative. It's just a set of indicators here that I've just shared that sort of show that we're still a little bit out of sorts. This is not, you know, in, in normal times, non-pandemic times, these are yeah. not the types of um, uh, extreme values that we would expect to see. So this leads us into our second insight. As we continue through the period of recovery, how are British Columbia and Metro Vancouver faring, comparatively speaking? Yeah, and I think that's the the way to sort of, or another way to look at our, our current situation. One is in an absolute sense, like, you know, how are we doing now versus where we thought we might be um, or where we were before the pandemic began. But we can also look at it in a comparative sense and to say that, you know, we're all, you know, whether it's countries around the world, provinces in Canada or metro areas across the country, we're all kind of dealing with the same set of conditions. So how well is Metro Vancouver coping? How well is BC coping mm -hmm. um, versus, um, you know, other parts of, let's say, Canada? So here in BC and Metro Vancouver, we're faring pretty well. If you look at all of the jobs that we initially lost at the beginning of the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, we've now gained them all back and in BC plus 10%. So we have, we've gained 10% more jobs than we lost in the first few months of the pandemic. And here in Vancouver, that number is 7%. So that's, you know, it's not all the same job. So there are people who had lost their jobs and have not been able to find work, but at an aggregate level, we have dug ourselves out of that hole, so to speak. And so that, if you rank, you know, BC and Metro Vancouver against other metro areas and other provinces in the country, we fare quite well. Like nationally, the average is that we've just recovered 
just recently all of the jobs that were lost in those early days of the pandemic. The other end of the spectrum, we've got provinces that are really struggling to get back on their feet. So in PEI, um, they've only recovered 82% of the jobs that were initially lost. So they're really still in this COVID hole, so to speak. And even a province like Quebec, which it's, you know, it's a big economic engine um, and it's got the second largest metropolitan area in the country in Montreal um, at its core. And um, it's still only recovered 96% of jobs that it initially lost. So, you know, with BC at 110% of lost jobs and Vancouver at 107%, we're faring pretty well. And then, we look at the unemployment rate as well um, in this region. It's come down from, like I said, from its its high of just over 14%. We're now in the low sixes. That compares very favorably to Toronto and Montreal, where we're seeing an unemployment rate that is, you know, month to month, the numbers change, but it's generally been higher in those metro areas. And then if you look at other, I mean, there's lots of different ways to look at this thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, one element that we keep tabs on is the mortgage arrears rate. So it's the percentage of mortgage holders or mortgages um, that are three or more months in arrears. Um, and we have that for major markets in the country. Um, and if we look at Vancouver, the current mortgage arrears rate is at 0.13%. So that says 13 out of 10,000 mortgage holders is three or more months in arrears in their payments. So, you know, that's not a very big number. And the point is that it's quite a bit lower than the national average of 0.22%. It's about half of what we see nationally. Despite our very high prices here, our mortgage market is quite stable. And since the pandemic began, we've seen the arrears rate actually decline. So the mortgage market has almost become more, I don't know if solvent's the right word, but um, it's definitely become healthier um, over time. And part of that is because of the tremendous amount of government spending and the Canadian, like the household savings that we're seeing across the country, um, but also the mortgage deferral program, which was put into place in the early days of the pandemic um, that allowed some homeowners to put off making their payments until they got back on their feet financially. That also had an impact. One area that I heard you talk about in the context of BC really outpacing other parts of the country is migration. What are you seeing? Certainly. And and specifically um, where we're seeing BC really shine is in it's net interprovincial migration flow. So this is dealing with people moving between provinces and territories. And so if we look at the data in aggregate, we sum it up going back from where we are today, back to quarter two of 2020. Um, so just after the sort of the pandemic, you know, arrived in Canada, um, BC has uh, attracted uh, 43,000 more people from other parts of the country than it's lost. So our our net domestic migration flow has been 43,000 people. We've grown by that many people because through the movement of individuals within Canada. And so to put that in context, that's the most of any province mm-hmm. or territory in the country. And to really put that into context, the uh, province with the second highest net interprovincial migration flow over the same period is Nova Scotia with just under 12,000. So we're at 43,000, Nova Scotia's at 12,000, and then the numbers really fall off. And what we see is in provinces like Ontario and Alberta, we're seeing losses of, uh, on a net basis, 18,000 people from Ontario, uh, from Alberta, 16,000. And a lot of them did come to BC, and I think a lot of that has to do with whether we were fortunate in you know, how we <laughs> found our way coping with COVID or, or it was, um, 
Um, we had some strategic advantage, whatever it is, our labor market has, you know, as we talked about, has been performing relatively well. And I think that has attracted people, um, that, and, and perhaps the lifestyle that, um, that is offered in British Columbia and Metro Vancouver as that, that type of consideration seemingly has become more important for people, uh, over the past couple of years. And then it's interesting to see how there's not necessarily a direct tie in, but, you know, as we have sort of been performing from an economic perspective, a demographic perspective, performing, if you want to call it performing, you know, relatively well, uh, compared to our peers, we've seen some interesting dynamics in our housing market. Um, one of those is that, um, housing supply really, uh, has fallen off a cliff, which is really tough for people who are searching for a home. So as of September, which is the latest data point that we have, there were, um, just over 12,000 homes available for sale in the Vancouver region. So that's that's effectively Metro Vancouver's 12,000 homes. It's the lowest number we've seen in any September in our history. Um, and now as we track the data halfway through October, which is where we are now, mm -hmm. we've actually seen that number come down, not go up. So it's now under 12,000. And so this is, we're seeing this across the region. It's the entire region across most price points, um, but we're seeing it across all home types for houses, for townhomes, for condos, south of the Fraser, north of the Fraser. And literally, if you look at the September data on a year-over-year -year basis, you see inventory declines everywhere. The only place that you see an increase is for houses, detached homes on the west side, which where the supply of them, the, the number available for purchase has increased over the past year. And I think that's largely price-driven because the average mm -hmm. price of a home there is three and a half million bucks. So if you have that, that amount of money to, <laughs> to, to, to purchase a home, um, that might be a good place to, um, to start your search. But for the average person... You know, there isn't a ton of availability and you sort of, you ask yourself, well, why is that? And I know when we look at sales, um, a lot of us feel like the sense is while the market's been slowing, like since we hit 9,000 sales in March, it was an all time high for the region. We've had six straight months of declining sales counts. So if you ask any one of our advisors here at Rennie or any agent in the market, they'll say, oh yeah, this month is slower than the previous and that month was slower yeah. than the previous. So it feels like the market's slowing, but if we actually compare sales counts this year and each month to the past decade average, we see that we, we've exceeded the historical average in every single month. Um, and even in September, um, with sales counts having come down six months in a row, it's still almost 30% higher than the, the past decade September average. September was the first month in, since January, I think, that we tallied regionally fewer than 5,000 sales. But again, halfway through October, we're on pace for uh, about 5,400 sales. So we're we're seeing that sort of more typical October bump in sales mm -hmm. activity. So sales are, are really taking a big bite out of inventory. And, and incredibly, it would be an even bigger bite had it not been for what has been um, essentially record new listings activity. We've hit record highs in the last six months when we measure it on a 12 month rolling sum basis. So for example, uh, we had 98,000, uh, new listings in the 12 months ending in September. And if we back that up, um, a few months, we were over a hundred thousand for, I think four months there. I think we, we topped out at 108,000 on mm -hmm. an annualized basis, um, back in the late spring. So despite that activity, we're still seeing inventory shrink to these historically low levels. Um, so you just wonder if we did not have all of this new listing activity, what would happen with prices? Like currently right. benchmark detached prices are up 26% year over year. Townhomes are up 23% year over year and condos are up 12%. So it's, a, it's, it's honestly a little bit scary 
um, to think what our market would look like. And we know that there are still a lot of buyers out there. It's just, I think yeah. buyers that can't find homes. Um, so they're, they're there, they're not transacting, but they would if the inventory was there. And we're also seeing that on the pre-sale front as well. So um, we're on pace for an all-time record pre-sales in this region. Currently just over 18,000 through three quarters. Um, I think the record high was in 2016 at just over 20,000. So if we tally 2,000 in this last quarter, um, when we've been averaging around 6,000 per quarter to date this year, um, we will have set an all-time high for pre-sales. And that is reducing pre-sale inventory as well from around 9,000 at the end of last year to around seven to 8,000 this year. So we're seeing it across the board. So it's just really a really interesting time for our housing market. So that dives us into our final question, which is what are your thoughts on our economy and market as we round out the corner into 2022? Good question. So no, you're not going to get any real predictions out of me here, <laughs> but if we look at we can look at a few different elements of our market, of our economy to get a sense for directionally what we might expect for next year, because, um, you know, we are recovering. I think that we're going to enter a new phase of growth next year that we will have put a lot of the pandemic losses behind us by the end of this year. Um, and, you know, I just mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of, I think would be buyers out there. We know that from, I mean, a lot of it is anecdotal evidence, but talking to our 200 strong advisor community here mm -hmm. at Rennie, and we know that if there's a home that is reasonably priced, um, that is livable, that there are, there will be dozens and sometimes in some cases over a hundred showings for a particular home and only one party can purchase that home. And so you end up having a lot of people walking away from that, having not gotten what they wanted, but still in the market looking for something. So I think there's a lot of demand out there in this local market that if the supply materializes next year, they will be looking to um, participate in the market. When we look at our economy, just across a few different dimensions, um, one is StatsCan produces um, a quarterly survey of businesses just sort of gauging their optimism or pessimism about mm -hmm. the, the future. Um, and it's a good leading indicator. We care about it, even though it sounds like a, you know, why do we care what businesses think? What about what they right. do? Well, when they're positive about the future, they tend to invest in uh, technology and infrastructure and people. And when they're not confident about the future and the prospects for their business, they'll do the opposite. Right, so it is a useful true. kind of leading in indicator. The latest data from quarter three of this year uh, show that three quarters of businesses in Canada are either um, optimistic or very optimistic about conditions, business conditions over the next 12 months, which is, you know, for what it's worth, kind of what you want to see. Um, for consumers, um, we can sort of gauge their confidence through retail sales activity. You know, how much money are they spending in their economy? Um, and even if their financial situation isn't good, you can tell they're feeling good if they're actually spending money. Um, mm -hmm. So if we look at the year-over-year -year increase in retail spending in Metro Vancouver, most recently, it's up almost 20%. And that compares to the previous year where, where it only increased by 1%. So consumers are spending... Businesses are hiring and wanting to hire. We know the job vacancy rate is relatively high, but they, their intentions are to continue to hire. So those all bode well. Obviously, inflation is a threat, and part of that has to do with the fact that consumers are spending. Like we're all, right. we have all this savings. We haven't been going to restaurants, or we hadn't been for a while. We hadn't been traveling, and obviously there are supply chain issues. But there's there's a lot of um, momentum on the demand side of the market. Do you know what people are spending on? 
Yeah, it's a good question because, yeah, I mean, in the inflation rate right now, the annual inflation rate is running hot at around 4% in Canada. But that doesn't tell the whole story because people are spending more money in some areas and less in others. There are supply yeah. chain issues, as I said, in some sectors and not others. Um, what we're seeing is, you know, making up that 4% increase or influencing it significantly is a uh, close to 20% increase in energy uh, prices over the past, uh. past year. And that includes gasoline. So we've seen gasoline prices increase a lot. So that's influencing that headline inflation number. But on the flip side, um, clothing over the past year has only increased by about 1%. Now, what type of clothing do you just seen purchase or do I? Um, we might be facing different effective inflation rates for clothing, right. but overall it's averaging 1%, which is quite low. So the story is, it's a little complicated there, um, but inflation clearly is going to be a topic of conversation for at least the next few months. A um, couple of other things in immigration, the Canadian government has increased its immigrant uh, targets for this year and each of the next two to over 400,000. We're currently on pace for about 350,000 this year, which is basically double what we achieved last year. So immigration is coming back and the expectation is we will achieve these targets in the coming years, which would represent all time highs. So what does that mean? It means that we're going to have more people working, contributing to the labor market, the tax base and participating in our housing market. So I see that as a, as a market and economic tailwind. And then finally, I mean, there's other things to touch on, but, you know, sort of the, the last element that I'd, I'd like to touch on here is just interest rates. You know, as we see inflation rear its head, there's a lot of talk about interest rates increasing to sort of dampen the effect of rising prices. Right. Um, but I think the reality is interest rates are almost too low. Like they're not, they're below the pre-pandemic yeah. level. We know the Bank of Canada will want to increase rates over the coming years. We know that bond yields will increase and mortgage rates will. But my expectation is that it will happen in a very modest and, and fairly predictable way. The Bank of Canada has no incentive to dramatically increase its policy rate um, and surprise Canadians. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, um, I think that we're, we're going to see fairly modest increase, continued increases in, the, in bond yields, which will nudge up mortgage rates. So I would expect them by the end of mortgage rates by the end of this year to be moving closer back to what we were seeing at the end of 2019 and early 2020. So I think we can expect to see mortgage rates move back into the neighborhood of what we were seeing at the end of 2019 and early 2020 by the end of next year. So by the end of 2022. So is that something that homeowners and home buyers are really going to have to contend with in a material way? I think for some, yes, like that will reduce their ability to borrow. Mm -hmm. um, it could have a all else being equal dampening effect on prices, but that's not the only factor to consider, obviously. And I think that um, certainly it's not going to be something that significantly impacts the dynamics within our housing market. Ryan, so after listening to you put all the data into context for us, it sounds like we're still digging ourselves out of a COVID hole, but here in Metro Vancouver, we're doing quite well. People are starting to spend again. Migration is increasing. Businesses and consumers are feeling confident. And we have a lot to be optimistic about. Things are looking fairly favorable for the Metro Vancouver region for 2022. I would agree. So this wraps up the episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the Rennie landscape on rennie.com slash intelligence. Be the first to receive the information straight to your inbox and register for Rennie intelligence updates. Ryan, thank you for your time today. I'm looking forward to chatting with you again soon on the spring 2022 edition of The Landscape. Can't come soon enough. <laughs> Thanks, Justine. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. 
The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. Thank you.